This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. The fear of robots taking human jobs or becoming too intelligent has been explored in literature, cinema and the news for more than a century. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. But late last year, the tech company OpenAI sparked a new wave of fear and wonder about artificial intelligence or AI. You can't open the newspaper without reading multiple stories about how AI is taking on some new task in our lives. Their new chatbot, called ChatGPT3, has universities scrambling to combat AI-assisted cheating and artists taking their work off the internet so they don't get ripped off. You have to have a certain level of cynicism about what you see online. Any digital media, uh, audio, video, text, uh, could have been synthesised by a machine. Today, I speak to an expert about the many developments in AI technology of late and what it means for the future of learning, art and work. It's Tuesday, the 17th of January. Yeah, I'm recording. Yeah, I'm recording. I think that looks good, but let's do a quick check. Okay. In Hertfordshire, Herefordshire and Hampshire, hurricanes hardly ever happen. This is Professor Toby Walsh, and he's a professor of artificial intelligence at the University of New South Wales. And I spent the last 40 years trying to build more and more intelligent machines. So, Toby, on top of your technical research, you also study and advise governments on ethical questions around AI, exploring things like fairness and transparency and privacy. What did you think when you first saw ChatGPT and when you first used it? I was pretty impressed. It really is quite capable. It's not the first chatbot. We've had chatbots since the 1960s. Eliza is a computer program that anyone can converse with via the keyboard and it'll reply on the screen. Eliza was the very first chatbot. And even that, which was way less sophisticated than ChatGPT, was mistaken by some people for a human. Mm. The computer's replies seem very understanding, but this program is merely triggered by certain phrases to come out with stock responses. And this chatbot, which is way more complex, way more sophisticated, way more capable. GPT is a deep learning model that is designed to generate human-like text, allowing it to perform a wide range of language tasks. I wanted to check the kind of limits of the complexity of ChatGPT and I wanted to see how accurate it is at conveying information in particular. So we thought of a bit of a, a, a difficult challenge and I asked it to tell me the hotly contested origin story of the pavlova. <laughs> Can I read out what it had to say? <laughs> New Zealanders, Australians are all waiting with bated breath to see who is going to win the challenge. The decisive answer on the pavlova is... There is some debate about the origin of the pavlova, as both Australia and New Zealand claim to have invented the dessert. However, it is generally accepted that the pavlova was first created in either Australia or New Zealand, and that the recipe was then adapted and popularised. 
I think that's pretty impressive. That's all fairly accurate. What, what do you think when you hear that answer? <laughs> it is. I think it illustrates how uh, ChatGPT um, tries to take a very middle-of-the-road line on, on topics. It's It's been carefully designed not to say things that are too controversial. I mean, although, despite those safeguards that have been put in, it is still possible to get it say things that are racist or sexist or contain lots of biases. But they have tried hard, at least, to not be too controversial. Can you break that down a little bit? What is behind this answer about the pavlova? What's the process that's gone on? It's pretty much like the autocomplete on your phone. I mean, when you're typing texting into your phone, autocomplete has been given a dictionary of words and knows about their frequency and therefore knows with what probability the next letter is going to be and helps you finish the word. Mm. Well, they've done that on steroids. It is specifically designed for conversational language and is capable of generating responses to input in a way that mimics human conversation. That description, by the way, comes from ChatGPT itself. They've taken pretty much the whole of the internet, all the text you can find, all of Reddit, all of Wikipedia, and... Since it's got so much data, it can complete not just the word, it can complete the sentence, it can even complete the paragraph. More than a million people have had a play with it since it launched. It gets its wealth of information and styles of writing from the internet. I'm going to let it show you what it can do by itself. But it's not really understanding what it says. If you give it something left field, some new curveball that it won't have seen, what's interesting and what's also worrying is it will just make stuff up. It will make plausible stuff up and it will say it with confidence and authority. So it doesn't actually know the right answer like a sentient being would, but rather it predicts the right answer based on probability and it can get those predictions wrong. What's an example of an answer that it might struggle with? Surprisingly simple things can even confuse it. You can ask it, if Mary has two red balls and Bill has three blue balls, how many balls are there in total? And it will probably say seven. Why, why is that? It doesn't actually have a model of the world. It doesn't actually reason closely about what it's saying. It's just saying what is probable. And when the most common answer is seven, it seems, not in this case, five. I also wanted to test how creative this tool was and whether it can tell stories in certain styles. So I asked it to write me the opening paragraph of a Tim Winter novel. And it was pretty good. I wonder if we could actually get you to read out some of this. We'll send it to you now. The sea was a deep, dark blue that seemed to stretch on forever. The waves crashing crashing against against the shore with a ferocity that belied their beauty. Davy stood at the edge of the water, the sand shifting beneath his feet as he gazed out at the endless expanse. He'd always loved the ocean, the way it seemed to go on forever, the endless possibilities it represented. But today, as he stood there watching the waves, he couldn't shake the feeling that something was off. There was a strange energy in the air, a tension that he couldn't quite put his finger on. He took a deep breath and closed his eyes, trying to clear his mind. But the feeling of unease lingered. I think um, Tim might be starting to be a little bit worried here. I don't think it's perfect, no. but it has captured a bit of his voice. The fact that it's all about the sea is a classic Winton as well. And, Absolutely. Uh, a male protagonist with uh, some doubts and inner turmoil. Uh, again, I think that's, you know, classic Winton. Mm. I wonder whether it can do 
all different types of creative expression. I imagine you've tested this in the time that this chatbot has been out. Do you have any examples? Yes. Well, I I did my homework before the podcast, so I did ask it to write a, a limerick about how good Guardian podcasts are. Oh. And I'm going to get the computer to read that out to you now. Oh, I'm nervous now. There's no need to search for more. The Guardian podcasts are great galore. It's the best way to hear news without any blues. Listen and learn. It's easy to explore. <laughs> That's amazing. So, um, <laughs> it's not the greatest l- limerick, but it's okay. I mean, I would, you know, I'm not a poet. I'm not a limerick writer myself. So I'm not sure I could do much better than that. Right. I mean, something else that is ignited debate around this issue of whether artists can be replaced by robots, essentially, is the rise of image-based AI technology. There's this one app, Lenza, where you plug in your photo and it spits out a series of artistic AI portraits of you in, in different types of styles. How does this work? Actually, it's uh, behind the scenes, it's actually very similar um, to ChatGPT. It's where ChatGPT has been trained on all of the texts, pretty much, that you can scrape off the internet. This has been trained on most of the images. So you can ask it for, you know, a picture of of a golden retriever skydiving, a cartoon picture or a photorealistic picture, and it will come up with a cartoon or a photorealistic picture of a golden retriever skydiving. There's also clearly some flaws in the machine behind uh, particularly some of these image-based apps. I, you know, am a woman with First Nations and Anglo heritage and the Lens app was just very confused by my face. It spat out a bunch of images that depicted me as an East Asian woman, I'm I'm fairly sure. So uh, what Arsene thinks that some of these image generators just aren't very good at at the moment. All of these tools, and this is true for these image-based generators, also true for ChatGPT, reflect the content that they're trained on. So they reflect the biases that you find in the web. So Mm. there's there's lots of sexism in imagery. If you ask, you know, these these tools, a stable diffusion or lenser for, you know, a picture of a doctor, it's high probability it's going to give you a male doctor, not a female doctor. And even when we know those biases exist, it's very hard to remove them. This is a problem also with with ChatGPT. It reflects the the sexism and the racism and various other things that you find in, in much of the text that you can read on the internet. Next, AI-assisted technology has artists and academics in a panic. But if AI is here to stay, how do we live with it? It does seem like right now there's just an explosion of AI-related ethical issues. I mean, artists were speaking out about the fact that their artworks were being used to train AI. As an artist, my work, what I do, is a part of me. It's a part of my identity. And these companies have allowed users to generate things that look like I've done it, that look like my peers have done it. And it goes beyond visual art. Last week, we had the comedy team, The Chaser, add a paywall to their comedy website because they wanted to prevent their writing being used to train AI as well. Also, universities around the world are changing the way that they run exams and other assessments because they're worried that their students will use ChatGPT to write essays instead of writing them themselves. Over the last few years, artificial intelligence, or AI, has evolved to the point where a program can write your essays and 
while they may not be A-grade material, they are enough to get you by. I'm wondering what you think about this moment. Are we in the middle of, you know, a sensible dialogue around the AI technology? The problem is we're always playing catch-up. The technology moves faster than society. The technology moves faster than regulation. And, you know, there are some pretty serious questions here about intellectual property and about the sustainability of this. If we if we scrape all the graphic design images from the web uh, and those people get thrown out of work, well, well was that fair recompense for, for, for stealing their styles? And, and what happens mm. to those people moving forwards? Those are tricky, meaty questions about how does copyright adapt to this new world? I mean, it's interesting you use the word stealing. Is it stealing? You know, is it legal to scrape someone's artwork, writing, whatever, train AI and then mimic it? Is that a a breach of copyright? Well, it's certainly stretching the limit of, of, you know, the law in terms of things like fair use. And there are some class action suits going through um, as we speak in the US. This is, of course... Not new. I mean, we we went through exactly the same sorts of debates with Napster and whether musicians were being appropriately rewarded. I'm not sure we've ended up in the right place there. Being a musician is still a very precarious profession for most musicians. Um, We have to make sure that we're designing the systems, the institutions, that means that art continues to flourish because it adds meaning to our lives. But in terms of great art, the great authors, the great poets, I don't think ever these machines are going to uh, take away from what humans do. Because at the end of the day, they're machines. They're not going to talk about falling in love and understand what that means. They're not going to talk about losing a loved one and understand what that means. Uh, Because those are experiences, those human experiences. Machines are never going to fall in love or lose a loved one. All those rich human experiences that the great art always talks to are ones that are uniquely human. And so they're never going to speak to us in the way that the authors and poets speak to us um, as fellow humans. There has been a bit of a correction from the industry as well to try and deal with some of these ethical issues. We saw OpenAI try and deal with cheating um, by announcing that they're going to use watermarks on AI-generated answers so we know when they're being used in essays and exams and things like that. Is that a solution here? Is that going to work? No, unfortunately not. I mean, there, there, there are technical things we could try and do to make it somewhat slightly harder uh, to use these tools, for example, to cheat, to use it, to write your homework essay. You can try and embed cryptographic hidden little clues in, for example, the, the frequencies of words and the frequencies of letters that, that would provide a fingerprint to say, oh, this was written by ChatGPT and not by not probably by a human. But equally, it's really easy to, once you know those tools are being used, to overcome them. So you could just, in fact, you could just ask ChatGPT to write the same text again in a more personal style, and that would defeat most of the tools we have today. It's it's always going to be a technical arms race. Mm. As soon as we have better tools to recognize synthetic text or synthetic media, those tools then get used to generate better, more realistic synthetic text and synthetic media, um, and that will get past those tools themselves. Mm. I mean, one of the answers that artists and creators have had to this technology is to take their art offline. We saw the Chasers put a paywall to their comedy just last week. Is that a concern that, you know, we'll have a less flourishing internet, that people won't be able to advertise their work on the internet as much? Uh, Do you think we'll see more of that going forward? 
That's only one possible future. I think we have to work out what, what future we really want. The technology has a potential to take us to what I've called is the second renaissance. Um, you know, machines can do some of the sweat. They can do all the boring, repetitive things. No one has to write a business letter ever again. We can get a computer to write that. <laughs> and we can spend more time doing the things that we find rewarding. And for some of us, that, that will be making art. For others of us, that will be consuming art. It does seem like a little bit of a novelty now, but when do you think we'll see this AI technology as just a regular part of our lives, much like we view a smartphone or the internet? I'm actually reminded of the debate I remember happening when I was a child at school about whether we should use calculators. And I remember being, uh, you know, I, taught, I spent a lot, many years being taught how to use log tables, totally useless, you know, never ever used that ever again, because calculators turned up and all, you know, tedious calculations is now done by calculators. And you've always got access, immediate access on your, on your watch, on your phone or wherever you need to be to a calculator. And so all that stuff that we were taught at school was the wrong stuff. Um, and calculators have now replaced it. And so I, you know, if these tools, if these writing tools, if these image tools are widely available and we're going to use in our real lives, are we teaching people the right things? I mean, I suspect we may be the last generation that knows how to read a map. Again, we're getting machines to do that for us. And we should always ask the question, you know, what, what, what are the benefits and what are the, what, what are the downsides of that? I spend much less time being lost. I, I used to be lost a lot when, before we had smartphones and, 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 and mapping software. I used to get lost all the time. Um, now I don't get any, spend any time getting lost, but um, I don't know my city and my, my neighborhood as well because I haven't learned it. I always rely on the app um, taking me to where I, where I want to be. Right, there's no doubt that big leaps in technology have changed our lives, often for the better. But when it comes to AI, surely there are things that just shouldn't be done by a machine. I think we should be having these really important conversations about what sort of society we're going to let the technology allow us to build. For example, you know, being judges is an example of a, a job that, you know, we could get computers to, to sit there and, and pass judgment. We train them all the legal texts in the world and they could analyze a case and pass judgment. But I actually like the idea that's human up front making the decisions, not a computer. I think those are the sorts of really important conversations we need to start having to, to think about how this technology could make our society a better place. That was Professor Toby Walsh. He recently released a book titled Machines Behaving Badly, The Morality of AI, if you want to check it out and learn more about this topic. Also, Caitlin Cassidy, our higher education reporter at Guardian Australia, has been writing about how universities are dealing with chat GPT and other learning technology, including a piece about a college student that claims their app can detect essays written by chat GPT. We link to that and more of her reporting on the full story page. Thanks also to Ben Doherty, who played the role of AI Tim Winton in this episode. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert with additional production by Karishma Luthria. Sound design and mixing was by Daniel Simo. The executive producer of this episode was me, Laura Murphy-Oates. Okay, thanks for listening. <laughs>